Mrs. Ballard's First by W. Pet Ridge. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Mrs. Ballard's First. But there, said Mrs. Ballard, when she had exhausted her stock of acrimonious criticism, it's no use talking to you, James. Nothing but a sheer waste of words. I was going to suggest that, remarked Mr. Ballard respectfully. There never was but one man in this world. So I've heard you say. A better and a kinder and a more thoughtfuller husband never existed this side of heaven. There's his portrait, added Mrs. Ballard, pointing to a coloured photograph of her first mate, which hung in a heavy gilt frame on the wall. That'll prove that I'm speaking the truth, if nothing else won't. Mr. Ballard's attention had on previous occasions been directed to the portrait, but from a natural spirit of obedience he glanced at it again. It represented a man with a stiff short beard, which beard the artist had painted a pale blue, and this, although scarcely credible, seemed in keeping with the general style of the picture. Mr. Ballard coughed. He knew something, said Mr. Ballard, putting on his braided cap and preparing to leave for the custom house. Gentlemen, remarked Mrs. Ballard pointedly, do not as a rule keep their caps on indoors. Mr. Ballard whipped it off and looked wearily at a stout watch which he took from his trousers pocket. And pray, what do you mean, James, by saying that he knew something? He knew what he was up to when he went out to see his brother in West Australia and fell down a mine on his way. Oh, you low-mannered man, cried Mrs. Ballard hysterically. Oh, you coward! Oh, you slanderer! How dare you say a word against my first? I ain't saying a word against your first, my dear urged the goaded Mr. Ballard. I'm appraising of him. I don't blame him for making a clerical error and slipping. To think, moaned young Mrs. Ballard, pressing her hands on her neat bodice, to think that I should leave to hear this said, to think that I, who've lived in Swan Lane these four years, keeping the business going, and getting the news of poor dear Long's death, bless his heart, and then giving way and marrying you. Look here, my dear, said Mr. Ballard, with a reasonable air. Suppose we let bygones be bygones? I'm due down at the custom house. In five minutes, let's give each other a kiss. Mrs. Ballard gave a little cry of horror. And be friends. Only do try to give the first husband of yours a bit of a rest. It can't amuse him being always thrown in my face, and I'll take my solemn oath it don't give me no particular pleasure. Ah, sighed Mrs. Ballard, patting her eyes with a corner of her pink apron, if he was only back again on this earth, I never realized what a good man he really was until he was gone. I'm quite willing, James, to agree never to speak of him again. Good, said Mr. Ballard, taking up his cup again. But I should be less than mortal if I forgot all his kindness and all his happy manner. Mr. Ballard approached his good-looking wife to bid her an affectionate farewell. When I compare you with him— Bah! shouted Mr. Ballard and went out slamming the door. 
Mrs. Ballard ran to the window and watched for him as he went through the shop, which still bore her first married name. She heard him say good morning to Anne, presiding at the counter, heard him go down the two whitened steps into the cobbled stone lane which led from the river to Lower Thames Street. He did not at once appear in the narrow roadway, where scarlet warning flags fluttered on warehouses, and Mrs. Ballard stepped briskly on a horsehair chair to ascertain the reason. Below she saw that a telegraph boy had arrived, that Mr. Ballard was inspecting the envelope of the telegram curiously, as though desirous of identifying the sender by help of the handwriting. Mrs. Ballard stepped down and threw the window up. "'Open it!' she called. Ballard, glancing up at her, obeyed. "'Is it for me, or is it for you?' she demanded insistently. "'Don't be all day reading it, for goodness' sake!' He folded it carefully and replaced it in the envelope. He looked up with an odd smile. "'Seems to be for you,' he said. "'Then send it up this minute,' ordered Mrs. Ballard. "'How dare you open a telegram for me?' "'You told me to, my dear.' "'Send it up this minute, or I shall lose my temper with you.' Anne brought the telegram up with a tearful countenance. The girl had been reading an affecting story in her weekly journal, wherein a lady, rather than accept the honourable but undesired advances of a wealthy nobleman, had decided to become a journalist, and Anne had been assisting at the pathetic departure from the old homestead. Mrs. Ballard snatched the telegram from her, bidding her return at once to the little shop below. The foreign telegram had been handed in at Sydney. It was addressed to Long, Swan Lake, London, and contained these words, Coming home, Long. Oh, Samuel, Samuel, cried Mrs. Ballard fervently, thou art returning from the dead to thine own true and faithful wife. It will be remarked that some slight inaccuracy had crept into this delirious and romantic statement. For one thing, a lady, who having lost her first husband thereupon promptly marries again, cannot in strict truth claim to have been true and faithful to his memory. Nevertheless, this was the remark made by Mrs. Ballard. She followed it up in the shop below with many others of like import, so that Anne, round-eyed with interest, discovered that by comparison the story which she had been reading had become dull and wanting in spirit. Patrons who called for elastic strings to be fixed to their hats, or for two-penny cigars, or for packets of sweets, found themselves served absently. For once they were scarcely desired. Mrs. Ballard, her good-looking countenance improved by this sudden arrival of heart-bounding news, laughed and cried by turns, explaining in lucid intervals to Anne that she was the happiest woman in the world, that she could never again know trouble, that her future was bright with unspeakable joy. "'Do you think, ma'am,' asked Anne respectfully, "'that he'll mind your having gone and got married again?' Mrs. Ballard, for the moment checked by this inquiry, speedily recovered herself." He was a man of wonderful common sense and extraordinary amiability of temper, Anne. So I've heard you tell Master, ma'am. And when I show him the letters and what not that we had announcing his fatal accident, why, he'll excuse everything. Besides, here Mrs. Ballard glanced coyly at the square of unframed-looking glass in the corner of the little shop. Besides, he'll be so overjoyed to see me that— 
whenever said anne as her mistress stopped in a book i read about anybody being drowned or being carried off for dead by brigands or falling over a deadly precipice then i'm always jolly well sure they'll return up again sooner or later i wonder whether he's made money didn't waste much of it over his telegram mail it'll be a terrible blow for master won't it like being left a widower i shall have to make up his clothes in a bundle on and you must carry him down to the customs and there's a clock and his pipe-rack and one or two odd articles the place will seem a bit empty without him ma'am a good riddance said mrs ballard lightly we shall both have to set to and put the place shipshape for for samuel i wouldn't marry a man named samuel said anne going upstairs to, to commence the work not if he brought me a fortune of forty thousand million pound ah anne sighed her mistress you didn't know mine swan lane is not a considerable thoroughfare and the tidings travelled down the inhabited side with great swiftness arriving at the pier the news fluttered about from the men in the two pay-boxes to the pier-master in his office and the captains of the steamers and the members of the itinerant band extracting from all varied exclamations of surprise such as well i am blowed and gee lord you don't say so and old ballard ought to give a dance mr ballard did not issue invitations for a dance did not even indulge in a few hilarious steps himself on the contrary he received his parcels and the letter of dismissal from swan lane with melancholy despite the condemnatory manner that his wife had of late assumed he retained a good deal of affection for her and he went back to his former lodgings across the river at dockhead with an air of melancholy that was not reduced when his well-meaning old landlady declared that she had foreseen all this from the first as for mrs ballard this name she decided for the present to continue she held a kind of salon in her small establishment and the rare city residents of the neighbourhood who could not get inside had to content themselves by standing without on the narrow slip of pavement so that passengers going down to the steamers stopping to ascertain the cause of this assembly became so much interested that they sometimes lost thereby the boat for rosherville mrs ballard as the centre and object of all this behaved in a proud condescending way and wore her best sunday gown every afternoon it is sometimes held to be an excellent circumstance that the popular mind will not interest itself on more than one definite subject at a time astonishing events happen in china and the public eye is attracted there and is held there but let something occur on a startling character in egypt and the public eye leaves china at once although that country may still be providing tumult and doing its best to retain the world's attention similarly when a housekeeper in lawrence pontney lane suddenly came into a fortune of twenty pounds a year left her by a grateful pepper merchant the residents of the neighbourhood at once diverted their attention from mrs ballard to the new heiress and work at the little shop resumed its usual course the reaction from the excitement of the past week or two placed mrs ballard in a mood more thoughtful and less optimistic as the figure of samuel long appeared to come closer across the map of the cotton advertisement on the wall so it seemed that the memory of his faults became plainer you want a blow ma'am advised Don one evening not another i mean a blow on the river ma'am do you think it liven me up Anne? she asked it couldn't make you much lower 
becoming dictatorial as her mistress showed signs of weakness anybody'd think you'd lost half a dozen husbands all at one fell swoop instead of recovering one that though lost to sight was to memory dear sort of thing i can't help thinking about poor ballard anne it's dreadful for him oh said anne cheerfully he'll soon find someone to soothe his aching brow a fine military style such as he's got and a uniform looked well in his uniform didn't he anne a treat said the girl you go upstairs and pop your bonnet on and i'll stay in you wouldn't have me to go up to chelsea and back by myself begged her mistress pathetically if i'm alone i get thinking and thinking and well you know thinking what about ma'am asked anne as she took the shutter chalked a why said mrs ballard hesitatingly about my first and-and about his faults faults echoed anne why good gracious me i thought he was perfect he'd always been used she said excusingly to having a drop or two too much every saturday and monday and i expect he found it hard to break off the habit was he funny with it asked anne taking out the last shutter not particularly acknowledged her mistress in fact he was a bit violent at times still he had his good qualities he never would wear a collar more than two days running mrs ballard and her maid went down the lane and booked for chelsea it was a summer evening and several other passengers were waiting on the pier anxious to get a breath of river air after a warm day of work mrs ballard wore a new hat which she had purchased in the first gush of excitement after the receipt of the telegram and looked a very presentable comfortable young woman with a definite chin showing below her veil the pier-master touched his cap and wished her good evening begged also to know whether she had any further news of mr long mrs ballard replied sedately and importantly that she had heard nothing since the telegram and expected to hear nothing until he arrived i shall be glad to see him again said the pier-master rolling a morsel of tobacco and throwing it into his mouth so shall i declared mrs ballard with excessive fervour it seems like a dream if anybody had asked me said the pier-master solemnly who i'd like to see back from the grave i should have mentioned his name first he owed me two pound ten i'm afraid if samuel had a fault it was that he was foolish in regard to borrowing not so foolish as some of us was in lending to him depend upon it he'll settle up with one and all when he arrives next week heaven send him said the other piously a safe and a prosperous voyage home you'll have to get up the other end ma'am for chelsea on board the hirondelle the seats were crowded and a quiet straw-hatted man gave up his seat to mrs ballard she nodded her thanks without looking at him he sighed and walked off to the paddle-wheel your husband ma'am whispered anne which one asked mrs ballard excitedly why the real one said anne oh samuel to think that after all these years no no it's mr ballard shall i go and ask him to come over here certainly not anne it's best we shouldn't be seen together there's a couple of young asses with no hats on trying to make him talk go over at once ordered mrs ballard instantly and tell him i'm here mr ballard seemed more at ease than did mrs ballard at the meeting the steamer bumped against the piers at blackfriars at the temple at charing cross and when it was nearing westminster mr ballard announced his intention of disembarking there going anywhere particular asked mrs ballard glancing down at her shoes 
only to make a call, he replied. Oh, she remarked shortly. I suppose we shall soon find the days a drawing in, shan't we? It all depends, she answered vaguely. I expect Samuel home next week. Give him my kind regard. I'm having the wash-house fresh whitewashed, she said. That'll please him. It'll seem strange to have him back again after all this long time, and after having mourned for him as one not lost but gone forever, said Mrs. Ballard desolately. It was what you was always wishing, was I? she asked. I don't mean what I say half the time, she looked up at him shyly. Must you get off at Westminster? Not if I'm asked to go on, he said readily. There are one or two matters I should like to talk over with you, said Mrs. Ballard, and Anne will be with us. That's good enough, remarked James Ballard. They walked round the circle of Battersea Park, Anne following near and weaving romances in which the cyclist swishing by took part. It was a pleasant evening, and they took refreshments presently outside a wooden house, where they were waited upon by a young woman, an acquaintance, it seemed, of Anne's, whom Anne had thought to be married, but who was not married, and indeed declared her intention of never so much as thinking of a man again. Pressed for an explanation of this singular attitude, the waitress told them of her engagement two years previously to a man who affected to be a gentleman of means by name Cecil Montague, but whose name eventually proved to be Samuel Long. "'My gracious!' interjected Mrs. Ballard, dropping her ice-cream glass. "'And what was more to the purpose, a married man with a wife, if you please. "'And him,' said the waitress indignantly, as she was called off by an invasion of new customers, "'him no more a gentleman of property than this marble table.' Silence ensued on the waitress taking wing, and Ballard, declining to force his advantage, suggested presently more refreshment, but Mrs. Ballard said, No, with great determination, and ordering Anne to prepare for the journey home by omnibus, led the way at great speed across Albert Bridge to King's Road. At the bank, after a speechless ride, Mr. Ballard walked with them down Walbrook, and Anne being sent on with a key, prepared to say good-bye. He perceived that there were tears trickling under the veil. "'Don't take any notice, James,' she said brokenly. "'But I am beginning to be miserable.' "'You'll be all right next week,' said he encouragingly. "'I shall never be so happy with him, James, as I was with you. "'You mentioned you didn't mean half what you said. "'Just now,' she sobbed, "'I mean a good deal more than I say. "'What I want to tell you is—is—good night, James.' "'And she hurried off after Anne.' As the time came nearer to P and O boat, which left Sydney on the date of the telegram to arrive, Mrs. Ballard's distress secretly increased, and when one afternoon a wire came from Plymouth, saying, with a curtness equalling that of the previous dispatch, that the sender would arrive Paddington 6, then Mrs. Ballard openly bewailed her fate, discarding reserve and confessing to the astonished Anne that she looked forward with tremor to a renewed existence with her first husband. Nevertheless, as difficulties have to be faced in this world, she dried her pretty eyes and wrote an appealing note to Mr. Ballard at the Custom House, begging him to obtain permission to leave early and to favour her with his company. 
anne brought back word that mr ballard would rather be excused but was instantly dispatched with a more urgent message and eventually returned enjoying the whole business very much and by no means insensible of her own importance with information that mr ballard would be at paddington at the hour appointed with which poor mrs ballard had to be satisfied the train was late in arriving and this gave her a last opportunity as she walked up and down the platform of reviewing the situation the other expectant people were radiant with the joy of seeing returning friends and when one inquisitive porter noted her dolefulness asked whether she were expecting a friend she replied wearily no only a husband mr ballard had not yet come the white lights approached everybody on the platform pressed forward and as the train came in all the doors opened and passengers from australia jumped out what ho old chum how are you said the voice of mr ballard she turned quickly and saw that he was speaking to one of the arrived passengers not her husband she waited seen my brother sam bout here your brother sam echoed mr ballard my brother sam why he's dead slipped down a mine out in west australia and well i am blowed declared the other man with great amusement if this isn't just about rich here's me telegraphing to him thinking he's still at that little shop in swan lane and all the time he's fell down a mine did he the man laughed hilariously if that wasn't just like sam to do that what became of his widow i married her said mr ballard modestly and a very kind action on your part too declared the man with heartiness does your credit come and have a tonic brother not said mr ballard got to see a lady home mr and mrs ballard walked out of the station together and when mr ballard went into a restaurant mrs ballard followed without a word of protest they had an excellent dinner talking quietly the while of everything but the subject which had recently engaged their attention it was only when coffee came and mr ballard lighted a big cigar that she spoke of this james dear she said touching his sleeve i was a bit of a nagger in the old days wasn't i yes said mr ballard frankly you was i've had a lesson went on mrs ballard and you'll find it's taught me something a lesson out she remarked patting her hand end of mrs ballard's first by W. Petridge